listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Thanks for joining us for Grow, our first series of 2017. Good morning, Real Life. Real Life Moscow, I miss you guys. Keep sending me over to the other side of the Palouse. Knock it off. Um, I was in sunny California for the last two weeks. I came home to reality. I was uh, got in at midnight and uh, it was negative three. I had been standing less than 24 hours before that on a beach. I thought, what is wrong with my life? God, but don't worry, God judged me. He gave me a cold while I was in California. I'm like, come on, give me a cold when I'm on the Palouse. But I got to practice my sermon. I got it at midnight. Got to practice my sermon in the car. I went 20 minutes too long, so be prepared. Everybody ready? I didn't have any time to adjust it. I just got what I got, so we're all ready to go. But no, we, um, I feel like I haven't talked to you guys in forever. So much fun. How are you guys doing? All right. Uh, we've been in this sermon series starting 2017 that we've called uh, Grow, and we spent 2016, we kind of called it the year of the text, and one of the things as we look back, we're definitely not feeling bad about spending a year in the text, um, amen? We're not going to change that this next year, we're going to spend this year in the text too, in 2017. We've got a couple things we need to do before we get back into the text, but um, we're headed back to the text, but... As we looked back on 2016, we thought if there was something that we might have been a little short-sighted in, it was just our ability to grow and our ability to be transformed. And you can spend all of this time in the text. In fact, Jesus talked to the Pharisees. He said, "You, you, you search the scriptures. You spend your whole life searching the scriptures. And you know me, I'm a big scripture guy, so don't think I'm saying something I'm not saying, but... He told the Pharisees, you spend your whole life searching the scriptures, the whole time the scriptures point to me. Um, So you can can spend your whole life in the scriptures and still miss it. And uh, we don't want to do that. We want to spend our life in the scriptures, but we also don't want to miss it. And it's not either or, it's most definitely a both and. Amen? All right, good, excellent. I need to wake up. I didn't get my sleep this last night. But um, so we had this diagram that Aaron used kind of to talk about uh, what is spiritual, and this is Aaron's wheelhouse, isn't it? He always makes these diagrams, and I was like, that's so good, man. Like, that's when he is banging on all cylinders when he's making diagrams. But I remember him throwing this up on the whiteboard last year and being like, oh, yeah, that's good. We need to use that. So and it's not comprehensive and perfect and all that stuff, but it's useful. Like, we all have this capacity if Jesus said, like, everything about this thing that he's up to, everything about the kingdom, everything about the scriptures, if we're going to spend our time in the text, Jesus said it all hangs on two commands. What were they? Love God. Love others. And so if we were to graph that, what a wonderful idea, Aaron. So we graphed it, X and Y axis, loving others on our bottom axis, loving God on our top axis, and we all have these differing capacities. Your capacity and my capacity are different. We have different personalities, different circumstances, uh, different backgrounds, introverts, extroverts, all that kind of stuff. We, this is fluid, but we all have this, we have this capacity, this energy quotient, and as we grow, spiritual maturity happens as we grow in both loving God and loving other people. And what happens is, I I think every single one of us has an axis we like to lean towards. 
We have a direction towards this graph that we like to lean. And once you lean towards your capacity, it stunts your spiritual growth and your spiritual maturity. And so part of what we want to do is we want to always make sure that we're being challenged. For me, I lean towards any, any uh, relationship with God access people out there. You're such a bunch of liars. Uh, I can't stand people. Like, I'd be great if you all never showed up. Like, it'd be wonderful. Like, I could create a space for me and God and be just super comfortable. Nobody believes I'm an introvert because I'm a public speaker, but I am. And I, hanging out with people, I will go home and be wiped out and then come back for an appointment at 3 p.m. and I will go home and be wiped out. And it's just the nature of ministry for me. I, I would lean towards... And for me to be committed to others is my challenge. I have to be committed to other people if I'm going to grow spiritually. So apparently all of you, how many are all like the relationship with others axis? Yeah, so that means all the rest of you didn't raise your hand the first time. Yeah, so we, so then there's the folks that are like, I love other people. I love other people. I have no idea how to spend any time with God. Couldn't, couldn't tell you how to hear the voice of God. But I lean, I, I thrive off of relationships with others. But if I had to sit in a room alone with just me and Jesus, I might panic. And we have to make sure that we, we, we keep ourselves in this. Spiritual maturity is keeping these things in their proper tension. And maybe our life swings us both directions. I don't know. Maybe you've had experiences kind of both ways. But I've already spent way too much time and we're on track to be 20 minutes late. So there's that. Now, another thing that kind of gets in the way of us being able to walk down that path is this conversation that we've wanted to have through this series about God's part, their part, and my part. There's, there are all these things that you and I can't control in our spiritual walks. And then there's one thing that we can. There's one part of that equation that you and I can control, and it's going to be our part. We talk about it next week, so I'm going to try not to preach that sermon. There are two parts of that equation that you and I cannot control. You and I cannot control. One of those is God's part. We talked about it last week. You and I don't get to play the role of God. Darn it. I had two therapists tell me that the reason I like to play video games is because I get to control what they call the God factor. Like, I get to control the parameters. They said, you don't get to do that in real life. You don't get to decide how the game works in real life. This game called real life, not the church, but the real life, real life. You don't get to control, you don't get to define, you don't get to decide, God does. God's the creator, God's the author. God gets to decide how this thing goes. There are so many things that you and I don't see that we'd never begin to understand. Things that we can't, uh, that, let's see here, who preached here last week, Aaron? Did he talk about Job? Like where can wisdom be found? Like we've found out how to do all kinds of incredible things, spent all two weeks in California, learning about unbelievable things that are going on down there, like incredible innovation, like West Coast. You know how California people are, right? And that's not an Aaron Couch, I hate California people quote. That's just, you know, it's a different culture down there. There's all kinds of things we've been able to do, incredible things. We've never been able to find a mine or a well for wisdom. That comes from God alone. There are things that belong, they're just God's part. But then there are also things that are their part. How much time and energy do you and I consume and spend trying to control things that we cannot control? At, at the, they're outside of our control 
period. Just consider that. I know you're like, yeah, 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 I get it. I can't control it. No, 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 really. How much time and energy do we spend trying to control things and manipulate things? Think about your workplace. How much time do you expend trying to manipulate the circumstances so that your boss or your coworkers or your employees or whatever will do the things that you want them to do? I, I don't even want to talk about parenthood. I miss my kids. I missed them for two weeks. But man, and, and I'm not even into it yet. I don't even have teenagers yet. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You want to control your children, anybody, help a brother out this morning. Holy cow, okay. So you want to control your children, and you're convinced that you can, right? If I just make the right rules, if I just shout loud enough, if I, that's my thing, I'm a shouter. I gotta stop that, it's gonna wreck my children. If I just do this, if I do that, if I, if I just, at the end of the day, the thing about being your own human being, no matter what developmental stage you're at, as you're, you're your own human being. You can't control other people. And I won't even begin to, how about spouses? Shh. Marty, don't do that. How much time and energy do we consume trying to control our spouses? Convinced that if we just do it this way, I'll force my wife, I'll force my husband Oh, we would never say it like that, of course. That would be ridiculous. But we sure think it and believe it, don't we? Uh, I want to go to a passage in John. It's at the end of the Gospel of John. It's after Jesus has been risen, uh, has, has, has raised, uh, what am I trying to say? The resurrection. That's what I'm trying to talk about. After the tomb was empty and they see him on the beach and Peter jumps out of the boat and the violins swell and music and all that it's not in the gospel, I added that, but you understand. And they get to the beach and they have breakfast on the beach and then this, this passage. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Shimon Kepha, Shimon, son of Yochanan, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Yahshua said, Shimon, son of Yochanan. I love how he's using his word, Shimon, means he who listens, he who hears. Shimon, you can hear Shema in there, Shimon. It's almost like Jesus is saying, I've called you Peter for a lot of, ever since I changed your name, today I'm telling you, listen, Peter, listen. Shimon, son of Yohanan, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Shimon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, Follow me. Now, let's go back one slide. Uh, Jesus has this conversation. There's all this background, and we don't want to preach that sermon. We don't have time for that. We've preached that sermon before. All these things that Peter's going through, but the, the thrust of this conversation is that Jesus is telling Peter, 
Uh, my work with you is not done, Peter. I know that you think you're disqualified. You've denied me. You no longer think you're a Talmud. You're no longer a part of the Havara. You think you've failed me, that there's no other. No, 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 no. Peter, I've got a call for your life. Peter, I have something I need you to do. You, we're not done yet. And, and there, there's a path that I need you to walk. It's this thunderous moment at the end of John's gospel. Your, your, be, your best days are not behind you, Peter. And we know from history his best days were way in front of him. Your best days are not behind you, Peter. Do not let yourself be defined by this moment, this past moment. Let yourself be defined by what comes next. And what, look, look what he says. Like, thunderous moment, okay? Peter turned. We're going to go to the next one. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and who had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? It's John. Peter and John seem to have this special relationship in the Gospels, almost like they're best buddies, best friends. When Peter saw him, he asked, now think about this. Peter and John have grown up together. They're from Bethsaida, from the same fishing village. They've spent their whole life together as what appears to be best friends. At least the hints in the gospel seem to be that way. Like they've stood there. So Peter, I've got a call for your life. Here's Peter's response. When Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return. What is that to you? You must follow me. There's this moment for Peter where God says, Peter, I have a path for you to walk. Your story's not done. I have a job for you. And Peter's like, what about that? What about him? What about them? And Jesus says, what about them? This is your path that you gotta walk. And I have a path for him to walk. And maybe those paths will intersect. And maybe those paths, maybe you'll be on the same path for a while. And maybe those paths will run parallel to each other. But I have a path for you. And the path I have for you is not the path I have for him. And the path I have for him is not the path I have for you. So why are you worried about his path? Worry about your path. There's this thing inside of us where we get we, we want to project our God experience and our God calling onto everybody else. This thing that God is doing in my life must be what God's doing in everybody else's life. And he's not. Because that's your part, not their part. So God's doing his part in your life and God's doing his part in their life and maybe those two things will find their way together but they're not the same path and you cannot make that person walk your path nor should you and you cannot walk the other person's path for them. It's not your path. Is everybody tracking with me this morning? I haven't done this in a while. I'm a little rusty. You cannot walk each other's paths. And the beautiful thing about life and relationship and community is sometimes we find ourselves on the same path together. By the way, this is what the marriage comes, this is why marriage is so difficult. Because it's the only covenant relationship 
that almost seems to have an exception to this reality. Everywhere else you go, even the parent-child relationship, you have a path, they have a path, and you cannot control the path that God has for your kids. And the thing that makes marriage so difficult is you take these two individuals with two callings and two paths, and they covenantally agree that they're going to do the work of figuring out how to take these two paths and make them one larger path? How will we take these two paths and make them one story? Two subplots and make them into one narrative. That's why marriage is so difficult. It's this one covenantal relationship where you don't get to go, well, that's just your part. So at this point, marriage kind of becomes this other conversation. I gotta really try not to preach that sermon this morning, but... That exception aside, there are all these relationships in our lives. You cannot walk the path of the other person, nor can you get them to walk your path. It's not their path. It's not their path. But then there's another piece that I think comes into this their part conversation. And I want to go to the Sermon on the Mount to get to that. So we're going to go to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 6. Excuse me. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I know you've heard this passage before. Stay focused. Rabbi Foreman calls us the lullaby effect. You've heard a passage so many times, it just kind of puts you to sleep. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Oh, no, stop it. Stop it. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is in the middle of a sermon. And some, many, many scholars think that it's very likely, if not probable, it's very possible that these were all a bunch of different teachings of Jesus that Matthew then put together to sound like one big, large sermon. It's entirely possible, but... I, It doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, the inspired scripture wants you to hear this as one teaching. And when we hear this sermon as one larger teaching, I think we still hear it as all these kind of broken up chunks. And what Matthew has done or what Jesus did, either way, however you want to see it, this teaching is one brilliant, I remember in Bible college, like critiquing the Sermon on the Mount. And I didn't know what to do with it because it felt totally sacrilegious because we came away from it going, this is a horrible sermon. <laughs> Nobody laughed at that. Jesus preached it. Like, it like, should be probably one of the top 10 of all time. It's a joke, like the best one of all time. Like, and I remember looking at it going like, what's going on here? I had to continue to grow in my knowledge of the scriptures, especially of the Jewish perspective, to understand what Jesus was doing. This, this whole teaching is brilliantly woven together. One thing leading to another thing. So I kind of jumped right into the middle of a conversation, but there is kind of a shift, and we started right at this shift. And Jesus starts this thought in the middle of a larger conversation. He starts this thought by saying, you have to be very aware of where your treasure lies. Where is your passion? Where is your your heart at? What do you really want? Like deep down, what do you want more than anything else? Because that's where your heart's gonna be. And I know that we immediately go to material possessions. We'll get there in just a second. And yes, and especially in our culture, 
110% is that absolutely practical and applicable. But he's also talking about things that are bigger than just money and material possessions. It certainly includes those things, and it's certainly where you and I in our culture struggle the most, but it's also bigger than that, so let's not rob it of its larger context. So Jesus says, be aware of where your treasure lies. And was I clear on the whole, I'm not talking money treasure, I'm talking about heart treasure. Everybody tracking? Okay, good. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. And then a whole bunch of nonsense, right? At least that's what I used to think. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, or the translation used to read good, if you have a good eye, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, if you have a bad eye, your whole body will be full of darkness. What are you talking about, Jesus? Like, you just went like all crazy, like treasure, and then all of a sudden, good eyes, bad eyes, light and darkness inside my body. What is going on? If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So Jesus starts this Jewish teaching. It's a very common Jewish teaching. The good eye in the Hebrew is an idiom. You say, say it after me. Say, ain tova. Ain tova. <laughs> you guys are getting less and less confident. Ain Chova. Say, say it like you mean it, like you know what you're doing. Ain Chova. Very good. Now we're talking. Thank you. It means good eye. To have a good eye. And then there's a bad eye. Say, Ain Ra. Ain Ra. And the rabbis say you have one of two eyes. You either have Ain Chova or you have Ain Ra. You either have a good eye or you have a bad eye. And sometimes this will actually be, in fact, in your NIV Bible, in your footnote, it probably has a footnote on the word healthy and unhealthy that says the word can imply generosity. Because in the rabbi's world, to have a good eye meant that you saw the world through a lens of goodness. You thought the world was, you think the world is fundamentally a good place. You have a ayin tova. You have a good eye. And if you think the world is fundamentally a good place, it changes the way you see everything. But if you have a bad eye, if you think the world is fundamentally a bad place, dark place, if you have ayin ra'ah, it changes. We've talked about this before here. We've used the term abundance and scarcity. Remember this conversation? You can see the world through an eye, ayin tova, a worldview of abundance. There's enough. There's more than enough. This world is something that God's putting together. That's, that's good eye. That's ayin tova. Or you can see the world through scarcity. There's not enough. I got to hoard it all to myself because everybody's trying to steal it and there's not enough. That's ayin ra'ah. Ayin Chova and Ayin Ra'ah. Jesus says, be incredibly aware of where your treasure lies because that's where your heart is. His very next sentence starts talking about the lenses through which you view the world. Do you suppose that the lenses you use to view the world 
affect where your treasure lies? Do you think that if you have a good eye, your treasure might be in heavenly things where moth and rust don't destroy? And here's the more like, if that one like, oh, I don't really know, this one will sink in in our culture. If you have ayin ra'ah, if you have a bad eye, where will your treasure lie? It will lie here where moth and rust destroy because I got to get enough. I got to get enough. I got to protect the retirement thing and I got to do the thing and the thing and the, get the career thing and the benefits thing and I got it all figured out thing and the politics thing. and the, uh, Ayin Ra'ah creates a world where I store up treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy. But Ayin Tovah creates trust. Well, and I store up for myself treasures in heaven. Mercy, compassion, love, justice. I'm so far behind and I'm gonna be so late. Let's keep moving. No one can, so where, where is Jesus going to go next? Like what's his next statement going to be? Interesting, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon, money, the, the God of having enough. You cannot serve the God of abundance and the God of scarcity simultaneously. So you have to choose which kind of eye you're going to have. Because the kind, if you have ayin tova or ayin ra'ah, it's going to affect where your treasure lies. Do you see how all of this flows together? It's brilliant. Now, where is he going to go next? Probably to somewhere that has eh, no connection. Just kidding. Let's go to the next one. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Do you suppose that this worry teaching has anything to do with ayin tovah? <laughs> this all flows. This is all a seamless teaching because this leads to this, which leads to this, which is actually the root of that. It just keeps building upon itself. If you have ayin to, what is the antidote to worry? Ayin tova. Somebody said trust. What is trust? Trust is ayin tova. Ayin tova. I was talking, well, let's keep going a little bit. Uh, next passage. Uh, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Shlomo in all of his splendor. I always like that passage because my name and nobody, like two people catch that. In all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And I am dressed pretty well this morning. That is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, which is where I'll be thrown if I keep making those jokes. Will he not, be, will, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? That would be ayin ra'ah. And if, and if you have ayin ra'ah, your whole body is full of darkness. That doesn't sound like a life I would want to live. Worry, 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 worry. 
It fills my life and my body, myself, full of darkness. And if my body is full of darkness, how great is that darkness? Who can relate to that? Can anybody relate to worry, anxiety? How great is that darkness? How much does that worry and anxiety control your decisions? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So I wonder where he's going to go next. Probably to something disconnected, right? No, it's the very first word on the screen. Therefore, meaning everything that he's been talking about leads to this gigantic implication. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's probably the end of that thought. Or maybe it's going to keep going. Let's, keep, let's go to the next one. Do not judge. Yeah, we've moved on to something totally new. Or have we? Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So <clears throat> let's go back and sit on that do not judge passage. This one gets thrown around a lot, right? Like, don't judge me. You can't judge me. Jesus said, don't judge lest you be judged. So what is Jesus talking about? Because he does say, don't judge or you will be judged. It is what he says. So what is he talking about? Well, in their world, they had three different concepts of judgment. Three different concepts of judgment. One was civil judgment. A judge sits in a courtroom and he judges. Gavel, judgment right? Is that the kind of judgment Jesus is talking about? Judges don't do your job. No, of course not. That's the easy one, okay? The next judgment is the judgment of discernment, discerning between truth and falsehood, discerning between light and darkness, discerning between holy and common. That's to judge between the two things, to discern. Is Jesus saying don't discern? No, that's not what he's talking about. We just spent 2016 in the book of Leviticus, a large chunk of which is devoted to teaching us how to discern between light and darkness, between holy and common. It's one of the jobs that, in fact, the rabbis teach. In the beginning, God separated light from darkness, and that is our eternal call as well. Like we join God in the work of separating light and darkness. That's what our job is. But when you start discerning light and darkness as it pertains to people, there is a very, very fine line that you get, and it is significant. You get close to this other kind of judgment. Jesus says you have to be very, very wary of this judgment because you're looking at this person and you're going, is that like parents and children? Like you're looking at your kids going, is that light, darkness? Like one of the hardest jobs of being a parent, discerning between what is this? What do I call this? What do I do with this? Is this light or darkness? Is it a big deal or not? Is it a hill that I die on? Is it something that I encourage in the development of my child? Like what discernment, the third kind of judgment is a judgment that is value. The judgment where you place value. And so when you start discerning as it pertains to people, Jesus says you cannot put a value statement on a person because that's whose job. Is it yours at all? Is it yours even a little? 
You cannot put a value judgment on another human being. Do not judge or you too will be judged. I was sitting with an Orthodox rabbi two days ago in California. Uh, wonderful conversation. We got into something and he was talking about, you know, you need to have the eye of discernment. And I said, Ayin Tova? He said, yes, Ayin Tova. I said, I'm preaching about Ayin Tova. And he said this, he says, ah, Ayin Tova, my favorite rabbi, Rebbe Nachman of Breslov, late 18th century, taught this. You know what he quoted? He quoted a teaching on judgment. We were talking about Ayin Tova, and he said, when, Rabbi, when Rabbi Nachman was talking about Ayin Tova, he said, when you look at other people, make sure you measure them with the cup of innocence. That's Ayin Tova. Do you suppose Jesus is still talking about Ayin Tova when he talks about judging others? What's interesting is 1,800 years before Rabbi Nachman said that, Jesus said something very similar. Look at it, it's on the screen. No, let's go back. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure, they measured using utensils, cups, measuring tools, measuring cups. Re Rebbe Nachman said, use the cup of innocence. Jesus said, you get to pick. You get to pick. You can either measure people with a cup of innocence or the cup of guilt. But however you choose to see the world, it's the same measure that's going to be measured unto you. Because that's what fills your life. Because if you choose to see the world through the cup of guilt and of judgment, your body's going to be full of darkness. And if your body's full of darkness, how great is that darkness? One more thought, and I'm already late, but one more thought. Don't even care. I'm preaching it, I don't even care. Uh, Brene Brown, some of you know her. Anybody heard of Brene Brown? Yeah, brilliant. Right? PhD, uh, did these TED Talks. Uh, she did TED Talks in Shame and Vulnerability, some of the most watched TED Talks of all time. Um, so maybe that's where you've seen her. Maybe the name didn't ring a bell, but you're like, oh, that blonde lady talking about shame and vulnerability? Yeah, that one. Uh, she, she does all this PhD research on shame and vulnerability. Her, her latest work is a book called Rising Strong. In chapter six, she talks about this experience she had, she was asked to go be a speaker at a conference and she gets assigned to share a room and she has this room with this like, it's, you have to read the book. She tells the story, this horrible individual. She like wipes like cinnamon roll cream all over the couch in their hotel room. Like my OCD listening to the story was like, <laughs> right? So she just paints this picture. And so she's so hacked off about this experience. And so she goes to her therapist and she's trying to unpack this experience. And her therapist looks at her and says, do you think that she's trying to do the best she can? And you have to read the book. She was like, absolutely not. What kind of a question is that? Do you believe she's trying to do the best she can? And the therapist was like, I don't know. I don't know her and I don't know her situation. But I can tell you from the world of psychology that I work in, I assume that everybody in this world I've found is trying to do the best they can. And Brene Brown says she went, she had to like, she went home and she was so fired up. She started talking to people and she went to a bank teller and she started doing like all this research after a few conversations. And she said, what I found out was that people that know how to rise strong, people that know how to deal with vulnerability, people that know how to get up and keep going in life, 
if we were to put that diagram back up there on the screen, Aaron's graph, people that know how to keep growing in spiritual maturity, these are people that choose to see the world through Ayin Tovah. She said, without fail and almost without exception, her research showed that people that knew how to grow in life, mature, we would say be successful, are people that look at others and assume they're doing the best they can. You see, part of the reason that we struggle with letting people do their part is because we assume that they aren't doing their best. We assume that they are out to get us. We assume that they are out for our destruction. That's ayin ra'ah. And Jesus said, it's a lousy way to live. And if we claim to be followers of Jesus, we'd have to say that that kind of perspective on the world is sin. Because Jesus said, God said, the way I want you to see the world is through ayin tovah. Anyway, I recommend that book for anybody that's like, oh, I want to read more about that. Uh, Rising Strong by Brene Brown. She talks all about how do you see the world. It's just one chapter, but really, really good. All right. We need to work through some implications. Uh, and I didn't even get done, but this is as good of a time as any. Worship team standing in the back of the room ready for me to shut up. So... Uh, we have Lord's Supper back there. Uh, we're gonna move towards our time of the Eucharist. And if our servers wanna go back and help us pass that out, that would be great. If you're visiting with us today, we have uh, an open table. That means your family. You wanna celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Your family this morning. Uh, join us at the meal. And, um, and hold on to the bread and the juice and we'll take it all together here in just a moment. But just a few implications. And they're simple, but they're really, I mean, I'm not saying this because I wrote them. They're, these are simple truths that are really profound and we don't apply them enough. I don't. I know I don't. We cannot make others walk our path, nor can we walk the path of others for them. We cannot make others walk our path. I know you're passionate about the path that God's called you to. I know that you think you understand other people's paths. I know how much I think I understand everybody else's path. But I can't walk their path for them. Nor, the, nor can I say with any shred of confidence that what God is doing in my life is what God's doing in their life. I cannot make others walk my path. I cannot walk their path for them. Next implication. We cannot make judgments about the value of others. This role is for God alone. We cannot make values judgments about the value of others. This is a role for God alone. One of the most powerful places that I learned this was in the realm of fundraising when I took this job that I have now where I have to go out and raise my support. And the only thing I could do was my part. I couldn't, I couldn't be God and convict everybody they had to give me all their money. Laugh at that, please, so I don't feel so uncomfortable. <laughs> and, and I couldn't get in other people's hearts, even if God was convicting them they needed to give me all their money, I couldn't make anybody make that decision to be obedient to that. And what right or wrong 
It was exactly what it was. All I could do was get up every morning and do my part. People always told me when I took the job, you're gonna learn so many spiritual lessons from the, the work that you'll do in support raising. And this was one of the biggest ones that I learned. My part, God's part, their part. I know people make bad decisions. I know, I know, people are stupid. All around you, people are stupid. Have you ever made stupid decisions? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Somebody who knows themselves very well. Yeah, we've all made stupid decisions. Have you been trying to do your best? Have they? Ayin Tova. Because that, that assumption becomes a value judgment very, very quickly. To look at other people and go, they're not trying their best. This is why they're making that decision. I know. Whoa, you know? Like you have a set of God goggles that I didn't know he was selling. Like it's, you, I didn't know you knew that. I know why they're making that decision. No, you, no, we don't. We don't. That's their part. It's their part. We don't get to make the value judgment. Only God could see that. And only God could make that judgment. And whenever he's made that judgment in the scripture, he's always been like, I love them. They're good. I, I love them. I love them as much as I love you. It's always a value judgment God has made. Third implication. The eye is the lamp of the body. Choosing to assume the best in others frees us to follow our own calling and fills our whole body with light. The eye is the lamp of the body. Choosing to assume the best in others. Do you know the Talmud? The rabbi was telling me this. The Talmud teaches that if you can come up with any explanation for why a person who just wronged you was trying to do the right thing, any explanation at all, the Talmud says you have to go with that assumption. Because you have to assume ayin tova. Now tell me that's how we live. Somebody wrongs us. We got 10 pieces of evidence to say they were out to get me. And there's like one possibility. Talmud says you have to go with that possibility. Talmud's not the Bible. I'm just saying wisdom. Wisdom. Even if, even if they were out to get you, what is it that's going to fill your whole body with light? What is this going to set you free to do what God's called you to do, even if they were out to get you? Last implication. I got so much I want to talk about. We cannot spend our energy attempting to control things that are outside of our control. I'll go back to the statement I made when we got started. How much energy do you and I spend day in and day out trying to control other people? I know we would never say it with our words that that's what we were trying to do. But think about it, it's a lot. In our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces, with our parents. I, it's the only explanation for what goes on on Facebook. <laughs> the only explanation, other than the fact that we're de-evolving as a human race, that would be the only other explanation. The only Ayin Tova explanation about Facebook is that we're convinced that we're trying to control everybody. It's the only explanation for what I see on there. We cannot spend our energy. God wants to do so many other things. Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. That's what I need you to do. I don't need you to spend your energy worrying about John, trying to convince John he's got to go with you, trying to figure out what John's doing, and if you can follow John and still do what I call. I need you to do what I've called you to do. 
So don't worry about John. Let John be John. You be Peter. I believe God had Ayin Tova from the day he made creation and said, it is Tov Mayod. It's very good. That was after he made you and me in the, in the person of Adam and Eve, but same idea. He made human beings and said, oh, their goodness, their incredible potential, the things that are gonna happen in this world. I think God is the definition of ayin tova. And that ayin tova is reaffirmed in that night that Jesus sat with his disciples and says, God still believes in the goodness of creation. He still believes in it. God still has ayin tova. So much that he's here to lay down his life so that you might have ayin tova because I think you've stopped believing it. And so that night, Jesus, wanting to affirm this truth, took a piece of bread, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples. He said, take this and eat. This is my body. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember Jesus. Later in the meal, he took a cup. He spoke of covenant. He said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. My dad has Ayin Tova, Jesus said. Don't ever forget Ayin Tova. Let's remember Jesus. Father, I pray two things this morning. I pray this morning that you would give us Ayin Tova, that you would double dog dare us, triple dog dare us to just believe that you're up to something good in the world, to believe that the fundamental truth of this place is goodness, is light, is hope, love, justice, mercy, compassion, forgiveness. And then to live like it. Not just believe in it so I get to heaven, but to actually let it change our eyes, our spiritual eyeballs. That we would see the world differently. And I ask that first because God, I, my second request is that you would, you would help us to let others do their part. In order to do that, we're probably gonna have to see them more the way you see them and less the way we think we do. So give us Ayin Tova this morning. Call us forward. Call us into a place of trust, a place of goodness. And help us to join in your restoration project letting you do your part, letting them do their part so that we can focus on our part. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, connect with us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com.